and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 1 this morning, if you want to go there, looking at verses 9 through 20, Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20, Um, and uh, really great to have everybody here this morning. We have a family dedication coming up at the end of the service, and so be three families up here that are going to go through the process of kind of us praying for them and uh, their their children, and so we look forward to that at the end of the service, Um, and uh, I do want to encourage you, if you you haven't bought tickets to go to the Ireland uh, fundraiser dinner, uh, there's, I think, eight or nine, maybe, maybe even 10 people that are going on that trip and that'll help raise some money to, to get everybody over to Ireland and then support Ben and Doreen in the uh, the, the um, retreat that they're doing that the week that our missionary team will be there. So tickets are on sale for that at the back. If you haven't grabbed one, I encourage you to do that after the service. Uh, this morning, as we look at Revelation chapter one, I do encourage you, uh, if you don't have your Bible open to open a Bible, go to Revelation chapter one. I also have a set of notes in front of you. The verses are on the notes. If you just want to use that, um, you're welcome to do that. But I I encourage you to follow along with those notes um, with me as well. And uh, at the top of the handout there, it says the the right understanding of who Jesus is should completely change your view of everything else. Um, If we we truly have a good grasp uh, through what God has revealed to us uh, about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, it will transform your view of everything else. Uh, Not just sort of change it, not kind of, you know, make a little bit of difference in your life, but who Jesus is and what he has done. And as we're going to see in this passage, the, the God that Jesus is, it's, it's not something that's small or little or you add to the pot. Like this changes everything, who he is. Okay. And so that's kind of one of the things I want us to see as we go through this. And we're looking at the authority of the son of man, the son of man being a favorite title that Jesus used for himself on his time on earth. It's from Daniel chapter seven. And uh, we'll, we'll, I encourage you guys to read Daniel chapter seven on your own later on today, kind of go through it and and maybe what questions do you have? What observations did you make? But a lot of what we have in the book of Revelation is from previous prophecies that are now coming true in Jesus. And so Daniel chapter 7 is one of those places. Um, But as we go through this, we're going to see that there's some unique things that Jesus alone can do. He is in a a very unique position of authority. No one else has the same level of his authority that Jesus does. You've never met anyone like him. Okay, um, there's never been another like him, either in reality or in fiction. Jesus stands out as totally different and unique than anything you've ever experienced or seen or known. Okay, and one of the things that we know about Jesus, and we're going to see this, is he is uh, he has authority over special revelation. And so God has revealed Himself, and general revelation would be like we well, can walk outside, you can look at the mountains, you can go beautiful places and see God's creative power. You can look at animals and see his creativity. You can get into the science and look at the small details of a cell and see God's creative power. Uh, I mean, you can look at general revelation and see who God is. But I've used this imagery before. That would be like having a spouse and only having a picture of them. Like that's 
It's a picture of God's creative power. It's a picture of who he is. But you wouldn't say, yeah, I married this person. They live on the other side of the world, and I, and I really love this picture I have of them. You'd want more relationship than that. And so that's where special revelation comes in. God has revealed who he is through the scriptures. And what we see in this passage is that Jesus is in control of special revelation. Uh, he is the one who makes it happen. So when we look at the Bible, we're not looking at a collection of writers from a group of people that sort of made some things up in order to explain life. This is God making himself known in the Bible, right? So that's an important thing. When you look at the Bible, this isn't a collection of fairy tales or things that people came up with to kind of explain life. This is God interacting with human people and then working through them to reveal who he is, who we are, and how we can have relationship with him. And when we look at this, we're going to see that Jesus is in control of special revelation. The other thing uh, is that when we look at Jesus, he, is, he also has authority. Uh, he has authority over the church. Uh, that's us, right? As we gather together, he is the one who has Lord of the church. He has control over the church, his authority over the church. Um, he is also the one that has authority over the final judgment. That's one of the other things we're going to look at, that Jesus is the one that each and every one of us will stand before as the judge of our lives, uh, the judge of our eternity, what we have done with him and where, where, where our eternity is headed. Uh, no, you don't know anybody else that can do that. He alone holds that place. Okay. And so as we look at this passage, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at the authority that Jesus has, the uniqueness of who he is, and then how should we respond to him if that's who he is? So pray with me, and then we'll look at this passage together. Father, we come to you, uh, so thankful that you've revealed yourself to us. Thank you that you've demonstrated your character and your kindness. Thank you that you've demonstrated your serious handling of sin, that it's not something that you take lightly, but it's something that is really, really big. And our rebellion against you, our, our fight to make the determination of what right and wrong is on our own terms, that, that, that's a big deal. And instead of leaving us in a place where we were without help and without hope, you sent your son Jesus. Um, that is the ultimate special revelation of who you are, the person and work of Jesus. And so we thank you that you've made yourself known to us, that you've uh, shown us that there's a, a place and a way of forgiveness and new life. Uh, that we don't have to take on the consequences of our sin, but instead there is this one who loves us and longs to give us life. It, it is you and it is your son, Jesus. We thank you for that, that message and that uh, that grace, that love that you've given to us. As we look at your, your word this morning, I pray that it would impact our minds and our hearts, that it would change the way that we approach life so that we can see life through your eyes and not our own. And ultimately, God, may we recognize your son Jesus for who he truly is. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So pick up with me in verse 9 of uh, Revelation chapter 1. It says, I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction, kingdom, and the endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. 
And so John, uh, he, he describes himself uh, in these opening verses, he describes himself to fellow Christians as a brother and partner in the affliction, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus. Uh, if you dig into the words there, that word partner or brother uh, has the idea of, uh, he describes himself as a near kinsman. Uh, not maybe some far off relative that you met once or twice at a family reunion or you've seen a picture of, but he describes himself, and this is how we should view ourselves as, as fellow believers in Christ, as, as near kinsmen, as people that have brought, been brought together within a family relationship. And the purpose of that family relationship, he, he, just, he says the he's a partner in affliction. He's a partner in oppression. Uh, he's a partner in hardship. Um, and so one of the things that we see in this passage, and we see it throughout the scriptures, is that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus and avoid difficulty, you're missing what it is to be a Christian, right? God doesn't call us to run away from the difficulties and kind of cower from the world and let them tell us what we can say and when we can say it and how we can say it, but instead to step up and speak the truth in love, not in a in a harsh way, but to speak the truth in love and to call truth what it is and to call uh, lies what they are and to share the message and hope that's found in Jesus. And he's, and if we do that, we're going to, we're going to take on some oppression. And so he says, be a, be a brother and partner in affliction. And then in kingdom, the idea there is of Jesus's royal rule. I don't know if you know this, but if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a part of a family. This family lives for the glory of God and to advance God's kingdom here on earth, that Jesus rules and reigns. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and his kingdom is present among us in a spiritual sense, and we are here to advance it. Uh, we're not here for our comfort. We're not here for our ease. We're not here to build our own kingdoms. We're not here to make our own way. God has us here for the purpose of proclaiming him and what Jesus Christ has done in a bold and loving and truthful way. Um, and if we are willing to do that, then we're going to take on some oppression. We're going to deal with some affliction. And if you take that a step further, he says that we're going to need to have endurance, that steadfastness, right? So if you're going to live this life for Jesus like it is real, like it matters, and you're going to actually organize your life around God's kingdom, not your own kingdom, but you're going to organize your life around God's kingdom and use your time and your talent and your treasure, what God has given you to advance his name and his kingdom on earth, then there's going to be some difficulty. Um, people are going to push back against that. Um, and and uh, this is something that's growing within our society, right? If you're willing to actually stand up and say that you believe in Jesus and you think that uh, following him is the right thing to do and he is God of all and his definition of sin is the right definition of sin and his definition of morality and ethics are the right definition of morality and ethics and so we're going to follow after him and to do otherwise would be to sin and if we sin then we need to be forgiven and the only way to be forgiven is in the Son of God. You can't be forgiven anywhere else. You need him. Him. Does our society say, thumbs up, that's the message we were looking for? Or do they push back? And so there's going to be some pushback. And if you want to be steadfast, if you want to endure, he says that those things are in Jesus. They're not in you. They're not in and of yourself. Now, Jesus resides in you, and he's taken up residence in your life, and he's transformed you, and you become his temple, and the Spirit of God lives in you. And so this is in you, but it's not of yourself. This is something that only God can grant you, the steadfastness, the ability to look at life through his eyes and say, I'm here for the purpose of suffering for the sake of Jesus's kingdom, and I want to endure with steadfastness, and I can't do it on my own. I need to stay in him. And beyond that, we are here together to do that. That is the purpose of the church, to 
endure for Christ's name's sake and his kingdom to draw people into relationship with him. And trust me, if you do this in the world, it's going to kick back at you. So you need steadfastness. You need to endure. And John says, that's who, I, that's, that's who we are as Christians, brothers and partners in the affliction, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus. He says, I was on an island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now, Patmos, you could view that as like Alcatraz, okay? Uh, it was an island uh, that they would send criminals to, and it was basically a place where you weren't going to get away. We know that John was sent there in 95, 96 AD, somewhere around that time. Um, uh, the emperor of Rome at that point in time had started a persecution of Christians. John was a leader in Ephesus. He said, let's take the leaders out. One of them was John, and he exiles him to Patmos, okay? And so what this would be like today would be, say you lived in California and you were willing to stand up and say that God's version of truth is the version of truth. Like you're willing to stand up and actually say that. Um, and you're willing to kind of push back against the culture that exists around you because you're not really a citizen of California. You're a citizen of heaven. You're not really a citizen of the United States of America. You are, and you should care, but you're really a citizen of heaven. And so you organize your life around that. It's not a political leader that's going to write the issues. It's life in Christ and it's his truth. That's what's going to solve the problems. So you stand up and you actually speak the truth in your workplace and you're not afraid to do it. You do it in love, but you do it and you get pushback and they say, send that guy to Alcatraz, right? Like lock him up. We don't want, we don't want your voice. That's basically what's happened to John. He says he's been sent there because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John was willing to step out in faith and represent Jesus in a culture that did not want to hear it. And because he was willing to step out and represent Jesus in a culture that didn't want to hear it, they got rid of him. And this is the culture that we live in now. Maybe not to this place, but if you're actually going to step up in your life and in your relationships and in uh, wherever God has given you influence, if you're going to step up and do that, you're going to get pushed back. You're going to be told that you don't have a voice on social media. You're going to be told that you, like, just be quiet. And so John says that's what he was willing to do. He, he's this brother and partner in affliction, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus. He was on an island, basically exiled to Patmos because of his willingness to speak up for the word of God and the testimony, his story of knowing Jesus. And so verse 10 says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and, a and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet. And so uh, this phrase in the spirit, he, it, this is, it, it, it communicates that John say like Ezekiel in chapters one through three or Peter in Acts chapter 10 or many other places in the scripture. Uh, they're taken to a place of special revelation by God. God is going to reveal to him things that are not uh, known to most of us or really any of us unless God chooses to do so. Right, And so this isn't a dream, but a vision given by God for John uh, to, to share with the church for the purpose of explaining things that are past, present, and future. That's his goal. I want you to talk about things that are past. I want you to talk about things that are going on now. And I want you to share things that are going to happen in the future. And that's what this revelation within this book is all about. It says they heard a loud voice like a trumpet. The idea here when you hear or see trumpet in the scripture, the idea is that the king is about to arrive. The king is about to speak. 
And so anytime you see red letters in your Bible, uh, this is Jesus's voice. And so Jesus tells him to write on a scroll and send it to the seven churches. He lists those seven churches. We're going to get into those in the, in, the, in the coming weeks. But they're basically, they're in an order that the Roman roads were in from Patmos. And so this letter is going to get sent out and reach these different places. Um, the, the phrase there, the other one is in the Lord's Day. There's two different views on this. One is that the Lord's Day is talking about Sunday uh, when Jesus rose from the dead, the Lord's Day. The other one is that this is a special revelation about the Lord's Day when he's going to return. So there's two different views on that. Either one could be right. Not really important to, to stress the details on that. But this is the, the point that John has um, in, in, this, in this writing and in this vision that God is going to give him is Jesus' authority over special revelation, what the church is here to do, and uh, uh, God's ability to explain what is past, present, and future. And so then we move on into verse 12, and it says, Then I turned to see who the vo whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man. There's that phrase from Daniel chapter 7. Dressed in a robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. And so uh, the way that Jesus is dressed would have reminded John of the way that a priest would dress. So uh, Jesus shows up sort of in a way that he is priest and king and God. Okay, It's a very unique way that Jesus shows up to him. Uh, the hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand and a double-edged sword came from his mouth. His face was shining like the sun at full day strength. And so a few things to draw out of those verses there, the seven golden lampstands in verse 20 of chapter one, it tells us that the lampstands are representative of the churches that are going to first receive this prophecy. And then we have seven features of Jesus that are noted by John. Uh, and so as you look at this, Jesus's appearance, it's unique, it's supernatural, it's glorious, and it's something that could only be said of God. So when John looks at this vision that he has of Jesus, as Jesus shows up to him, he's recognizing that Jesus, and, and John has seen something like this before, right? John was at the transfiguration. And when, when the transfiguration took place, Peter and John and James were there. And it says that they saw him. Uh, they asked if they could set up tabern or tents for him. And then after they had asked that silly question, it says that they, they passed out. They were so overcome by the glory of God that they actually f fell asleep. But it wasn't like they wanted a nap. It, they passed out. It was more than they could take in. And so Jesus shows up to John again in a similar way like this. And as you look at these, these seven features of Jesus, the first one there, the white hair or uh, the, the, his head that's white as wool or snow. Uh, this is a reference to Daniel chapter 7 verse 9 in the ancient of days. Uh, so Jesus shows up in a way that reminds John of the eternal God, the description of the eternal God that's given in Daniel chapter 7. And it says that he has fiery eyes and so he has the, uh, the piercing judgment of sin. Uh, Jesus, when, when you have to understand this, that God knows everything there is to know about you. The, the things that you think you've hidden, he knows. Uh, the, 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 the things that you struggle with that maybe you think you're keeping other people from understanding, God knows. Uh, he, he sees into your life. He understands the issues. Um, and he has the ability to judge those sins. 
Now, the next thing that's described is he has bronze feet. And the bronze altar in the temple that the Jewish people worshipped at, it was related to sacrifice and the judgment of sin. And so, you see this description of Jesus, and he has the ability to pierce into your life and see the struggles that you have, the places where you're rebellious, the sins that you can't overcome. He has the right to judge those things. But then the very next thing that is noted about him is he also is willing to forgive. Because that altar was a place where forgiveness took place. It was a place where the judgment of sin was poured out on a scapegoat, a lamb. And so God shows up in this way and he, and he has the ability to see in your life. He knows everything that's wrong in your life. And the next thing that's noted about him is there's a way to be forgiven. You don't have to carry the weight of your sin. You don't have to own the consequences of your sin. But instead, there's one who's taken it on himself. He, he wore your sin. So he wore my sin so that I could be forgiven. He took it on himself so that we wouldn't have to deal with the consequences of our sin. That we wouldn't have to stand before this God in a place of terror. But instead, we could stand before this God in a place of forgiveness. Everyone will face God in this way. The vision that John has of Jesus is something that all of us will encounter. And the question that you have to ask yourself is when I am before the judge of my life, is it going to be a place of terror and condemnation? Or is it going to be a time of celebration of his forgiveness and the new life that he's given me? It says that Jesus has a voice like rushing waters or cascading waters. His voice drowns out all others. If you know Jesus, you know this is true. If you've been in relationship with him, you know that you've reached a place where you're like, I don't really care what all these other voices are saying. His drowns them out. I, I, hear, I hear the other voices, and every once in a while, I'm tempted to go along with them. But in the end, his voice drowns them out. His voice is the one that I want to hear. His voice is the most powerful voice in my life. It says that he has stars in his right hand. Uh, in verse 20, it also reveals that these stars are angels. And that these angels are uh, actually placed over the seven churches in, in a position where they're caring for them. They're, they're guiding them. Uh, and so they're in his right hand. And one of the things that you see about Jesus is he has divine ownership of angelic beings. Does anyone in here own an angel? I mean, my wife is pretty amazing. I don't own her. Don't, don't get the wrong idea. Trust me, she knows that. Um, but... I don't have an angelic being that I control. Do you have an angelic being that you control? Do you, do you have the right to tell an angel jump and it asks how high? Do you have an angel, the, 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 the ability to tell an angel where to go and it says your will be done? You have to understand this is who Jesus is. That angelic beings obey him. They, they do what they're told when he tells them to go. You, you don't know anyone like Jesus. You don't. You've never met them. And you won't ever meet them. He is one of a kind. 
it says that he has a, a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Now, in the scriptures, there's a couple of swords that are referenced. One is a, a Roman short sword that was maybe, uh, it would have been used in a shield wall. And um, this one is actually a barbarian sword, a long sword. And so Jesus has a long sword coming out of his mouth. And, and what it's revealing is that Jesus is the king who has the right to judge, to rule, and to reign. He has the right to cut you down. says that his face was shining like the sun. Uh, and so this is his, his glory and his holiness. Within the Old Testament, uh, the Hebrew word that they used was Shekinah. It was God's unique, one-of-a-kind glory. That to see him was bright and, and brilliant beyond belief. And so these are the features that Jesus demonstrates to John. And so we see the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man, the Eternal One, and the Messiah... And he's speaking to John. And when John sees him, verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Now, you have to understand that this is the same John that as a young man met Jesus and followed him. This is the same John that described himself as the one whom Jesus loved. This is the same John that at the Last Supper rested his head on Jesus' chest like a son would on his father. He has really deep, meaningful relationship with Jesus. He has seen Jesus show up in the transfiguration. He, he watched God's glory before. Uh, he, he saw Jesus perform miracles. He saw Jesus die on the cross. He was there when Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He saw Jesus ascend into glory. He heard Jesus' call to be his witness and throughout the world. John has a relationship with Jesus that's tight, it's close. And when he sees Jesus in all of his glory, he falls on his face, he fell at his feet like a dead man. This is somebody that really knows Jesus, really loves Jesus, and knows Jesus' love in return. And when he sees him in all of his glory and all of his deity, he doesn't know what to do except fall down. Because God's glory is grand, it's huge, it's big. He sees Jesus showing up as the one who has the right to judge. And, and so he falls down at his feet like a dead man. Because like Isaiah said, when he reached God's throne room, he says, I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips, I'm a person of unclean lips. I shouldn't be here. This is going to result in death for me. And so what God does here for Jesus, or what Jesus does here for, for John, is he lays his right hand on him and he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Do you know this place? Where the God of the universe, and you understand his power, you understand his right to judge you, you understand the depths of your sin, you know that if he gave you what you deserved, it would be terrible. But instead, he lays his hand on you, and he says, don't be afraid. Can you imagine standing guilty before the judge of the universe and he lays his hand on you? He says, don't be afraid. Do you know this spot? Do you understand what it is to be forgiven? Instead of having terror of Jesus and his power, you're in a place of forgiveness. Forgiveness. 
He says, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. And that phrase, the first and the last, he's called himself the Alpha and the Omega. Uh, now he calls himself the first and the last, the living one. If you were to look at the tenses of the verbs there in the Greek of the living one, it's the one who was living, is living, and will live forevermore. He has always been. He is eternal. God is not a creation of some person's mind. He is the uncreated creator. He is the one who has always been the eternal one. And Jesus is saying that's who he is. He says, I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever. Uh, you understand that when Jesus, when he proclaims his authority, when he shows up in glory, he says that the reason that he has authority is that he was dead and now he's alive. That he is the Messiah who came and took the consequences of sin on himself, was risen from the dead, and now he lives forevermore. You understand that when Jesus exercises his authority, he references his resurrection. Do you think maybe that should be an emphasis when we proclaim who he is? Do you think maybe that his resurrection from the dead is a big deal? That if you want to share Jesus in your life, that the resurrection is the place that you go? His death, burial, and resurrection is the place that you go? Not clean up your life. Hey, buddy, you better clean your life up. God's morality is the right morality. If you don't get cleaned up, you're in trouble. Not God's version of ethics or the right version of ethics. And if you don't get your ethics right, God will never accept you. No, morality and ethics follow relationship with Jesus. And so our message to the world around us isn't clean yourself up so that God will be happy with you. It's God loves you. He gave himself for you. And because he has risen from the dead, he wants to give you new life. And as you follow him in new life and new relationship, ethics, morality, all those things will trail along. We offer transformation from the inside out, not because we can, but because Jesus does. And then he says, he's alive forever and ever. And he holds the keys to death and Hades. What are the keys to death and Hades? Uh, this is a, a reference to Jesus' right to judge all those who have rejected him. Uh, we'll see this take place when we get to Revelation chapter 20. That when Jesus returns and he reaches uh, the place where he's going to do away with sin and death and evil once and for all. That there's a resurrection of the dead. Uh, the, the, the holding ground of them is, is a place that the, the biblical writers refer to as Hades. And so there, all people will be resurrected. Whether unbelievers believers or believers, there will be a resurrection of everyone. And Jesus is saying that he holds the right to judge those who have not found life in him, that have rejected him, that have continued on a sinful path and not found salvation in him, that there'll be a resurrection of those people and that he holds the right to judge them. Revelation chapter 20 reveals that he, he will do that. Jesus actually talked about this uh, in John chapter 5. What is my iPad doing? Uh, John chapter 5, uh, Jesus is talking about life and judgment. And in verse, hang on just one second with me.
In, verse, in chapter 5, verse 24, he says, Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. So if, you, if you've trusted in Jesus, you've passed from death to life. And then he says, Truly I tell you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he granted to the Son to have life in himself. And he has granted him the right to pass judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, because a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good things to a resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to a resurrection of condemnation. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he says he has the keys to death and Hades. That at the final judgment, at that resurrection, there will be those who are in Christ and it will be a resurrection of life and celebration. Those who are not in Christ, it will be to a resurrection of condemnation. And he has the right to do that. You don't know anyone else who has that right. You've never even heard of anybody else who truly has that right. Jesus alone is the one who can save. He alone is the one who judges. And so we, we must turn to him in trust and in faith so that when this time comes, we, we, we have a life, a resurrection of life and celebration. But it's not something that we wait for. It's actually something that you experience now. And so he says, therefore, write what you have seen, verse 19, therefore, write what you have seen, what is and what will take place after this. And so in those verses, you sort of get an outline for the book of Revelation. The, the past would be chapter one of the book of Revelation. The present things that Jesus is going to reveal to John are chapters two through three, which are the seven churches. And then future things are chapter four through 21. The uniting factor of all history, as you look at this, is a Savior who died and rose again in the past, is still alive and moving in his church in the present, and will come again in the future. You don't know anyone like Jesus. You don't know anyone who died on a cross for the consequences of your sin who was the eternal God who created all things and became flesh and dwelt among us and showed us truth and grace. And then he went to a cross to deal with the consequences of your sin. He was buried and then he was raised from the dead to prove that he is the Messiah. He then ascended into heaven at the right hand of the Father and he is presently there ruling over his church and the kingdom that exists now in a spiritual sense and he will return. We look forward to his coming when he returns to deal with sin and death once and for all and rule and reign for all of eternity. You don't know anybody like him. And so as you look at this passage and you walk away from it, one of the things you have to ask yourself is what's your understanding of the inspiration and authority of the Bible? Is it, is it something that a group of people made up? Are you going to buy the university lie that everybody hears when they go to college now that the Bible isn't really trustworthy and you can't really believe what's written in it and miracles aren't something that can happen because science has proven that and there isn't a God big enough to do things outside of what we understand. That we need a real small little G God so that we can do what we want with our bodies and ignore what he, what he says about morality. Like, are you going to go for that? Because that's what, that's what the world says. That's what universities teach. I went there. That's what they taught. 
That's, that's, that's what people want you to believe about the scriptures. That they're, not, that they're not inspired. That they don't have authority. That God isn't in control of special revelation. That he hasn't made himself known in the person of Jesus. That you can't trust his word. That it's up for you to decide. And so you can push the Bible aside. Maybe take some portions of it you like. But then get your Sharpie out and black highlight the portions that you don't like. And decide for yourself what's right and what's wrong. Are you going to go for that? Because I'm telling you, that's what society wants you to do. That is, that is what the world system and its fallen beliefs want you to do. And, and you could do it. Uh, it doesn't result in a good thing. Or you could understand that God has made himself known through the scriptures. That he has inspired prophets and, and, and priests and kings and different people to write down who he is and what his story of creation is. Did you know that God created us in love? That we fell in rebellion. That he pursued us to redeem us. And he promises a restoration of all things at the end of time. He was, he is, and he is coming. That's what the scriptures proclaim about God and Jesus. So what's your view of scripture? And then who's Jesus? Who is he? Is, is he this one that shows up and is the ancient of days? He has piercing eyes that see your sin, yet offers you forgiveness. He has a voice that drowns out all others. <laughs> He's, he, he has the ability to tell an angel to do something and it says, yes, sir. He has the right to, to judge and to rule and to reign. His glory and holiness is like nothing else. He's the one that when, if you came to face to face with him right now, you would fall down at his feet in awe of who he is. But here's the thing. You could do that anyway, right? You could fall at his feet already with an understanding of who he is. You could worship him and bow the knee. And so the question is, have, have you bent the knee to Christ? Or are you still calling the shots? Have you, have you put yourself in a position to honor him with your life? Or are you still in a position where you are dishonoring him? What choices are we making with our lives? What pattern have we set up within our lives? Are, are you finding steadfastness in him? Or are you trying this on your own? He doesn't want you to do it on your own. He wants you to find steadfastness in him. Do you know Jesus as God and Lord and Messiah? Do you understand him as judge and scapegoat? The judge who could rightfully send us into the lake of fire, but instead gives his own life so that we can be forgiven? Do you understand him that way? Do you see him that way? He's kind of a big deal. He really is. And he longs for us to follow him in trust. And here's the thing that you have to also see. Is that when you, 
give your life to following him. It's not something where you're terrified anymore. But instead he puts his right hand on you. He says, don't be afraid. He's got you. He cares about you. He loves you. And this is the relationship that God invites us into and calls us to boldly proclaim to the world around us. Let me pray. Father God, this morning we do thank you for your grace and your kindness and your love. We thank you that uh, in spite of all that we've done against you and our rebellion and the, the patterns of our lives that reject you, you, you sought us out. You came and you saved us. You have every right to judge us, and instead you forgave us. And you not only forgave us, but you redeemed us. You paid the price that was needed for our forgiveness. You are the one who, who was and created everything, including us, in love. You're the one who is and rules and reigns and guides our lives here and now. And you are the one who is to come, who will right the wrongs of all our history, all human history, and restore things to your original plan and creation. We long for that day. In the meantime, we are brothers and sisters, near kinsmen, sharing partners in affliction, your kingdom, and steadfastness that is only found in your son, Jesus. We thank you for this and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.